The Dime is sponsored by ETH Revolution. The cannabis industry has unique challenges, which means you need a multifaceted partner to help you navigate the landscape. ETH Revolution has a team of experienced science and business experts to provide a unique analytical approach, providing services from capital to cannabinoid and everything in between. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, I've got my right-hand man, Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Ben Larson, CEO of Vertosa and host of the MJ Today podcast. Ben, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thanks so much, guys. Really, really happy to be here. And it's a beautiful Friday here in, in sunny California. The rain has subsided, so I get to go out and play after this, I think. Kellen, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Looking forward to chatting with Ben and learning about a lot of the talk about their technology. Cool. So, Ben, I think it'd be really beneficial for our listeners to learn a little bit about your background. My background. Okay. Well, when I graduated college, no, um, I, I won't take you through the full story. I, I, I did have a previous life as a civil engineer, which was interesting. But uh, for the last uh, decade plus, I've been working with early stage companies, startups, um, inside and out of the cannabis industry. Um, and really fell in love with just the creation phase. I love helping people create their ideas and, and kind of break down the barriers, help them validate it, and really kind of you know make it an opportunity to build wealth and kind of create your own destiny. Like that's that's my my ethos. And you know what brought me into the cannabis industry was launching Gateway, which was a startup accelerator and working with early stage companies, helping them uh, you know raise capital. And yeah, it's been a journey since then. You know, a few years of doing that, it was a very challenging job here in California, especially when everyone was looking towards legalization to be the panacea of like just wealth and like just, you know, an easy market. And, you know, it wasn't that. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think the big kind of mind shift for me was realizing how early it was still in the industry. And, if you were going to be investing in these early stage companies, like they needed to have a pathway forward to success, and 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 the supply chain wasn't really there yet, you know, um, back in call it 2016, 2017, and even today, in in a lot of cases, depending on what market you're in, and so I, I started thinking, it's like, okay, how do we change our investment thesis to really invest into the supply chain um, and allow you know, all these pitch decks that are quoting these billion dollar opportunities, like how is that actually going to happen? And, and, and what needed to happen was kind of like to remove the necessity to vertically integrate and do everything. And, and that we learned that in tech, right? Like to create value and, and scalability, you have to really like focus uh, on a single aspect of, of business and, and really just knock it out of the park, do it really well, let other people use it, let them scale, become a platform. Like these are all kind of like, know, talking points of, of a lot of early stage startups. And yeah, there was a lot of room for improvement. And so one of the key aspects of that was creating reliable, you know, what I just call active ingredients, right? You know, you can call it oil extracts, you can call it nano emulsions. But at the end of the day, if a big brand's going to come in and they want to create a product, they're used to doing the branding and product design. And they just want to rely on you know, uh, reliable ingredient manufacturers. And, and that was kind of the genesis of what I'm doing today as the CEO of Vertosa is creating reliable active ingredients at scale that are customizable for the products that they go in 
And we're also creating kind of a geographic platform so that brands can, you know, operate in multiple states or countries and and really create the same experience and the same product that's that's unique to the product that they've created. Right. And so that's the that's the skinny on on my trajectory in the cannabis industry. Let's dive a little bit into the origin of that with Virtosa. Is there a certain moment where the name kind of came through? Can you kind of take us through the conceptualization phase of of moving into cannabis (laughs) and then starting that? Yeah, so <laughs> the the name used to be Nanogen. Uh, that's what we first started as. Um, you know, my my business partner, Dr. Harold Hahn, um, happy you know, chemist. the happy chemist. That's right. Uh, he has a PhD in surface chemistry. Like this is his life, <laughs> and he came to me with the concept, and he's like, "I'm going to call it Nanogen," and I'm like, "Okay, that that's cool. That's like super scientific. All right, sounds a little bit like South San Francisco. I can get down with that." And and at you know at the beginning, it was like. We need something that was trustworthy, kind of like it had the benefit of sounding very familiar. Like, so like we would introduce ourselves to people for the first time and it was just like two or three of us, you know, in those days. And they're like, oh yeah, Nanogen, I, I, I've heard of you guys. And I was just kind of like thinking to myself, like, no, you haven't. <laughs> um, <laughs> or if you have, uh, it was a hair care product. Maybe you're losing your hair. Um, you know, there's <laughs> anyway. So I, I told Harold pretty early on, I was like, Look, there there are some trademarks out there. If we start to get some traction that's reasonable, then we're gonna have to like change the name. And you know, lucky for us, it happened. And and, and so it was a pretty easy decision. Um, well, it was an easy decision to change the change the name. The actual changing of the name and coming up with the name was was pretty arduous and long. If if anyone's ever been through a rebranding effort, um, but it was fun. Like we knew it had to happen. So we kind of put our heart and soul and, and a lot of intention into the name. And that's how that came about. But, um, you know, regardless of the name, Nanogen or Vertosa, uh, we had one core value uh, when we first launched the company. Um, and I alluded to it in the beginning is like, it was trust. Like we just needed to infuse the supply chain, the community with trust. And, and so, Anytime we came up with new information or uncovered something or something, you know, on the shelves was losing potency, we didn't sweep anything under the rug. Uh, We just kind of actually highlighted it and said, okay, this is something that we can apply our horsepower to and and really try to solve and and lift up the industry. And so it worked. That's kind of what really helped us build our brand and kind of kept our our North Star, you know, clear as day to us, um, you know, day in and day out. So important and that trust that you've described is so critical, even more so in cannabis, because what we've found is so many people have been burned early on and making them hesitant, but also so detrimental to progress and success mm-hmm. of the industry as a whole. So for our listeners who are a little still a little unfamiliar with Bertosa and are want to know, you know, where in the conversation that they would be introduced to you, can you kind of share more about the interaction between you and the rest of the supply chain? Yeah, absolutely. So so part of that building trust, right? We Three years of operation now, well, a little bit more. Um, we are purely a B two B company. Like we don't have any of our own products. We've been asked many times if we're going to do it, if it's something that like what's out there that's yours. And, and people actually they're they're so wired to think like that in cannabis. It's like, oh, is that your product? I'm like, well, we have technology that helps build that product, but no, it's not our product. None of it's our product. We we only work with brands, manufacturers, and operators. And so, um, you know. Our inputs are basically any extraction, any isolate. We try to create as much flexibility as possible. So if you want to create like pure like CBD beverage, like we can help you do that. If you want to create something that is built around a live resin extraction out of Humboldt, California, it could be single origin, 
like we've done that. And it was like super awesome. Like heavy hitters just came out with like a really awesome, you know, single strain product that it's just like, I'm in love with it. Like, and that's what the future is, right? Like those differentiated products, differentiated experiences, you know, our process, we then take those inputs and apply our nanomulsion expertise to create a stable ingredient for a given product. And so it's not a one size fits all. You know, we, we evaluate the products. We say, you know, what are the ingredients? What are the manufacturing processes? What are the packaging? You know, what is the intention and lifespan of this product? And then we custom tailor those ingredients to ensure that it's going to be what the consumer is expecting, because that's, that's how you build trust with the consumer. That's how you create a mainstream industry. And then on the, you know, the, the tail end, we, we work with, you know, probably over a hundred brands in the market now, um, everywhere from gummies to mouth sprays to beverages, um, just trying to really create that next generation of, of edibles product or consumables, non-smokables, whatever you want to call it. I don't like to actually put everything under the umbrella of, of edibles because beverages is a very different experience. And, and I can dig into the details. I probably won't, won't yet unless you draw it out of me. But it's like <laughs> beverages are different than gummies and gummies are different than a mouth spray, right? Like, And that's important to note. Because even if you use the exact same ingredient, it's just like a, if you were to use a high purity THC distillate, it's going to be a very different experience between a beverage and a gummy. Um, so that's the first thing to understand. But, you know, other than brands, we also have become kind of a node for just research. And so we work, uh, we have a pharmaceutical lab partner here in the Bay Area that we do a lot of blood work with. We've teamed up with doctors to understand like how we can help patients get off of opioids faster using combinations of hemp-based cannabinoids. And then we're doing research. Uh, we, you know, one of our advisors, Professor Julian McClements out of UMass, you know, doing just a lot of work in nano emulsions and trying to understand, you know, purely as a vehicle, like how are we delivering, you know, the, these compounds into the bloodstream and getting the intended effects. Um, so we work with everyone. It's, it's, it's kind of fun. You know, it's like, Back from my incubator days when I was running Gateway, we didn't really have competition. We just, I guess, maybe canopy growth, but we were still friendly with like Micah and and, and Patrick. Um, but it was just like, you know, it, it really kind of allowed us to build a really big, strong network and and constantly lend it to those that we work with. And, and we're doing exactly that at Vertosa. Anytime someone calls us like, oh, you need a co-packer, you need a distributor, you need a supplier. Like we got that. And, and oftentimes we're just giving it away as like kind of, helping build up the categories. I'm coming for those science details, but before, before I ask, <laughs> I want to start with one, one of the categories first. I want to know, what do people get wrong about the infused beverage category? Oh man, what do they get wrong? <laughs> the, the thing I get the, the most tired of hearing all the time is like, oh, like beverage isn't a thing. It's only 2%. Well, Everything starts from zero. <laughs> like, you know, you don't go from zero to a hundred percent overnight and like let that be the determinant of whether something's a thing. Um, and so all I gotta say is if if you're skeptical of beverage, like try one. Well, try a good one. Try one that has a Vertosa logo somewhere on the back. You know, it's like it will change your mind. And if it doesn't, that's fine. But people need to realize like you're not every consumer. And, and what I have seen with beverage is is a great entry point into the category, uh, into cannabis, right? And I've seen people try cannabis for the very first time in their 60s and 70s because it was in a beverage and it was super easy for them to pick it up, taste it and meter it. And it's like, they weren't going to overconsume. 
you know, in a whole package, maybe it had three milligrams of THC. So like they could drink half of it, start feeling it and decide whether they wanted to continue or not. And I've just seen so many incredible uh, transitions through beverage. Like my wife's family, like, you know, very conservative Eastern family. No one had ever touched cannabis. And in fact, the first Christmas after I had entered the industry and everyone found out, you know, I walk in like, Hey, drug dealer. And I'm like, Oh God. (laughs) And so that was the starting point. And then just this year, you know, post like kind of as COVID started to ease up in the community, they, they took a little like family vacation and they sent me pictures and they were all in a dispensary up in Mendocino and like, we all bought something and they were so proud of themselves. (laughs) And I'm just like, And I got to tell you, it all started with beverage. Like they were buying gummies, they were buying tinctures, but it started because I got them to to try the beverage and they, they realized it wasn't dangerous. And so it, it, you know, that's the opportunity with beverage. It's the new consumer. It's the social consumer. It's, it's the consumer that like myself that, you know, if if I take too big a pull off of, off a joint, like I'm probably going to be fairly antisocial for the next like hour and a half. Um, You know, where, where I can, I can meter it much better with a beverage and I don't feel like I have to like, bite off the corner of a gummy or, or something like that to achieve it. And it, it's like, it's just natural. So um, that's what I really love about beverage. So if you're, if you're still hung up on the fact that it's only two or 3% or that they're heavy or they take up a lot of space, it's like, yes, they do. But they'll also probably be the first product that you see on a mainstream shelf out of the regulated market. If I had to predict, right? Like I'd agree with that. Yeah. So that's what I'm excited for. That's what I'm driving towards. Like they will be the first cannabis products in liquor stores, so to speak. Right. I think we're in complete agreement on that. We're extremely, extremely bullish on that. And I wonder sometimes if the beverage category isn't a direct competitor to the edibles or the flower category, they're more of a competitor to the alcohol drinkers, right? Someone who, who after work is normally like, I'm going to grab myself a little whiskey, which don't get me wrong, during the pandemic was a, a heavy dose of my reality. And then, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Kellen was very kind and sent me a care package. And I got to try one of those infused beverages for the first time. And my mind was completely blown away. I was like, this is it. I was like, this is exactly the category that's going to get those that are still kind of with that stigma of the smoking aspect and cannabis a little more comfortable with the adoption of the category. So Kellen, when we're talking about beverages, is there an area that excites you the most or is there an area that makes you a little more skeptical that most come with? I want to go back to one thing that Ben kind of mentioned early on. and It's about reliability, right? And trust. And I think that the beverage portion of the industry isn't like 30, 40% like you see with the vape pen industry is because the technology to infuse cannabinoids into a beverage and make it taste well. Because I mean, CBD is very bitter. THC is very bitter, right? Getting these to to seamlessly be soluble in a beverage consistently from a manufacturing perspective is not easy, right? Like that's why the technology Mm -hmm. Vertosa has is special, right? And I think that early on, there was a lot of companies that kind of gave it the good old college try. And and you got some of these beverages that were very weird if you poured them into just a glass, right? There was like, it looked like you mixed olive oil with water and it was kind of funny. It wasn't consistent. Maybe dosages wasn't wasn't proper across the across the the can from like an homogenation standpoint. So like, Ben, how did you tackle a lot of those kind of stigmas and make sure that you guys were the most reliable technology on the market? Yeah, you know. Part of it is just good luck and timing, to be honest. Like I, I, you know, I, I was running the incubator. I saw it when Constellation put the four billion dollar chip on on Canopy Growth. 
I knew Ebu. Uh, they they were purchased for a very large sum of money by yeah. by Constellation and or I mean Canopy. And I saw a lot of the new like entrance into the space, and I just knew the technology wasn't there. And so Harold had been coming around the incubator. He had like sat in on some of our free sessions and all that kind of stuff. And then he approached me one day, and he's just like, "Here's my background." I want to get involved in the space. I, I'm really uh, compelled to like make a difference here. Like, how can I help? Like, what can I do? And I'm like, wait, what's your background? <laughs> and I'm like, here's what you do. Like make a prototype that can disperse into water and be completely stable and, you know, clear and flavorless would be the, the ideal, but I know that's hard. And he came back probably, you know, he would touch base, but like came back with a prototype in hand with within six months. And I remember the night like clear as day. Uh, I was I was sitting at Port Workspaces in Oakland. It's a co-working space. I was doing a session for Founder Institute, like coaching a bunch of other early stage founders. And then Harold's like, Ben, I, I brought it. And like I sat down with him and it was like went straight tunnel vision. It was me, Harold, and the shot. And then there was just a bunch of noise of people like all around us for the rest of the night. Um, but I'm like, I poured it in a glass of water and it just completely dispersed. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And I drank it and and I started feeling it. And I was like, I just asked him at that moment, I'm like, Harold, I think you have something. I have a lot of questions, but my main question is, do you want to sell this technology or do you want to create a company? And he responded with the latter. And so I basically was just like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna do this. And and you know, in my entrepreneurial brain, I was like, okay. We just need to make this at scale and get it into everything. And that'll be awesome. Fortunately, unfortunately, right? Like it would have been great if we could just, you know, create gallons upon gallons of the stuff and just put it in everything and everyone's high and happy. Um, it wasn't that easy, but if it were that easy, we probably wouldn't have a company because then, you know, anyone else could probably stumble along upon it and do it. Um, and so now I'm at a point and I've been talking long enough. I don't know if I actually answered your question. <laughs> 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 you, you can blame that on the emulsion and i enjoyed the story though <laughs> so i want to dive into some of the formulation because i've got endless questions and i'll try to limit them to a few that i think are, are most kind of high level does the entourage effect play a role in in the beverage is that one that you can kind of share some some insight on oh man yeah we are <laughs> we're digging into this big time and yes it it can it's the question is how and and when you ingest something, there are many different pathways that the cannabinoids can take, and so we we kind of boil it down to like two different components. One is like the pharmacokinetics, like how are certain drugs going into the system, and what percentage is getting into the system, and, and what have you. And then there's uh there's this other concept of like what is happening to the compounds themselves and how are they changing as they go through the system? And, and, and so that's what we're evaluating in the lab right now is like, if we take something in a gummy form versus a beverage form, distillate versus our emulsion system, like what are those different levels you're achieving? You know, in the simplest, the simplest one to explain is uh, THC. Like everyone knows that, or not everyone, but most people listening to this podcast probably know that it turns to like a different compound. You know, the, the, 11 hydroxy. You're right. There you go. 11 hydroxy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, I don't know what's going on with the brain today. Um, so what happens with terpenes when you consume them? And when we started asking that question, actually, because we all like terpenes have a, a very strong directionality on the product. And it's like, what happens to a terpene when you ignite it and consume it in the lungs? What happens to a terpene when you consume it? Like, 
what receptors are processing these terpenes and what's causing that directionality. And you ask the terpene experts and they don't know. <laughs> and so, so we're, 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 we're like trying to wrap our brain around right now. It's like, okay, we know that we can influence the absorption of like compounds directly into the bloodstream uh, without getting, you know, metabolized by the liver. Right. And so it's like, okay, how does that change the profile that you're actually consuming? At the end of the day, we do know we can create differentiated effects. And so what we're trying to do is put real science behind creating those cannabinoid and terpene in flavonoid profiles, and then understanding what are those different forms that they take depending on the, the consumption method. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, look, the, the, the long, the, the short, which I should have probably started with the, the short story is that, you know, the edibles of old used to get heavily processed by the body and, and largely stripped out. So that it was a pretty kind of, you know, similar experience across the different types of products you consumed. Nowadays, you can get a very differentiated effect. And what I'm excited for is actually leaning into that and frankly, working away even from just this, like, I just want to put cannabinoids flavorless into kind of a, a light seltzer. Like those are great. They have their place. We, we work with a lot of them. But I'm really excited about taking like these full spectrum extractions and building like flavor profiles around them and, and, and celebrating the plant and the experience that comes from it. Because my vision of the future for, for Vertosa is, yes, we want to create ingredients for everything infused, but I want to define the experience that is attributed to a certain brand. Because I think that's the true opportunity with cannabis is that it has this dimension that alcohol doesn't. And, and I know people say, oh, whiskey, like, you know, whiskey drunk is much different than tequila drunk and wine drunk and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, there's maybe some truth to it, but not as much truth as with cannabis, because with cannabis, you're talking about like a ton of active compounds yeah. here and the entourage effect really does come into play. It plays into Appalachian as well, too, which I know is a big, big thing up in Northern California. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Those Appalachians. And I mean, that, that fine wine, right? Champagne, a whole nine yards. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm probably about 30 minutes out of, outside of Napa. So it's like, I spend a lot of time up there. I also love wine. Um, but the, the, there's a strong cannabis community up there and they're there really excited about building the cannabis brand of Napa. You know, like for all that Napa is known for, for wine, very little of that wine is actually produced in Napa. It's the branding, right? And so the same can happen with cannabis. And, and they know that. Certain players definitely know that. I've been talking to Stephanie Honig quite a bit from Honig Winery. Uh, she's also doing distribution for RNDC, which is the second largest uh, beverage distributor or alcohol and spirits distributor. And she's also the president of the uh, Napa Valley Cannabis Association. So it's like, it's like, all right, there's some interesting crossover that's really starting to happen here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, and then going full circle, you know, I just laugh when, when people say, oh, but it's only 2% of the market. Like, it's like, have some vision people. <laughs> <laughs> I want to stay with the entourage effect because I'm, I'm really fascinated with this whole concept. So are there different kind of combinations of the minor cannabinoids with certain terpenes that you found can kind of lead to certain feelings? Can you kind of share more details about that? Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's infinite possibilities. And, and yeah, at, at a certain point, you get down to this granularity is like, is there really a difference? But like, I'll tell you, like, I do a lot of product testing for science, of course, um, science. and <laughs> for science. Um, 
but last night, you know, I just took one of our THCV emulsions, right? And I'm like, oh, I actually haven't experimented much with, with, with THCV. And lo and behold, like it was a nice mild high. Like I still got a bunch of work done. I wasn't sleepy. It was just, it was an elevated feeling and I never got the munchies. And I'm like, I almost without fail, when I take our THC emulsion, like get the munchies. And I was like, oh my God, the hype is real. Yeah. Skinny weed. I was like, oh my God. And then, and then my mind starts going crazy about like all these like product development opportunities, which is really a shame because we're <laughs> never going to launch our own product. But like, I just like pass that on to like, you know, the, the different companies we work with. I'm like, oh God, like here's, I have a lot of ideas. Just take it and run with it, please. So I can stop thinking about it. <laughs> um, so that's just like, that's one cannabinoid. Right. And so what we're doing for kind of like the more, the more enlightened of impact, actually, we're actually working with uh, Dr. Ethan Russo from Credo right now uh, to really develop some, frankly, like literature backed formulations, and then going to funnel that through to kind of the work that we're doing with our, our pharmaceutical lab to really, A, understand like, how do those formulations then end up in the blood? And can we like detect what all these different cannabinoids are doing in the bloodstream? And then, of course, the third leg of the stool is like the, the consumer impact. Like, A, is it a differentiated experience, which we've anecdotally been able to prove that we can achieve? But B is like, you know, are we getting to like 80% confidence on a certain, you know, effect, right? Because we all know everyone's, you know, ECS is so different and like how people process these things are, are very different. But if we can get to like an 80% confidence on a particular application, like for me, that that looks like success, right? And so... Yeah, it's um, you know, terpenes are also super fascinating. You know, I, I mentioned the uncertainty about terpenes, but what I am certain about is their impact. And like, we uh, we did a, a project with Humphrey Slocum in San Francisco where we did a CBD and terpenes in an ice cream, and it was almost too successful because you know, like California just passed AB forty five. We didn't have like a structured like CBD market, and so it's like. You know, Humphrey Slocum was like leading it. So like, okay, well, we'll take a little bit of risk. And immediately after launching their first like CBD ice cream, like all these news articles came out about like, oh, finally an adult ice cream. And I'm like, no, don't say that. And it's like, but people like I tried it, you know, you you consume it and you add limonene to an ice cream with that has CBD. And all of a sudden it's like this relaxing and very bright feeling effect where all of a sudden, like you look outside, the sun's brighter, the clouds are more defined. And it's just like, it's like, yeah, I feel good. This is, this is a good ice cream. And so like, that's just scratching the surface. Like there's so much to explore. And, and, and frankly, for, and, and you can tell my mind jumps around all over the place. Like this industry is so great for people that are hyper curious and just eternal students, because there's so much we don't know. And as soon as we're comfortable recognizing that, that's like, A, that's where the trust is built. And B, that's where the opportunity lies. Because like, we can just keep digging and finding white space and creating blue oceans. And yeah, this is uh, cannabis has become my forever home that I never anticipated being here. So I uh, feel super grateful to have, have found this path for myself. There's so much still to uncover, right? There's like from the beverage side, there's two different sides. You've got the psychoactive side, and then you almost have like the non-psychoactive side. We can talk about mm -hmm. like recovery, the sleep-based ones, like for yeah. athletes that are looking for let's say a Gatorade competitor. I mean, one like that could be a, a massive, massive undertaking. So do you see kind of, let's say big alcohol and Coca-Cola and all those big beverage companies looking to migrate into the space slowly over time? Or do you think this will be one of those where they're going to like, 
hey, we're going to stay away. The cannabinoid industry, it's a whole nother world. What's your thoughts on that? Um, you know, we're, we're seeing, a, you know, pardon the pun, but like the full spectrum, right? Um, you know, we see people jumping right in. We're working with Pabst Blue Ribbon. You know, they're, they're putting their full weight behind it. And they're actually, they're really in love with the products. Like truly do, do love them. Um, we see others like, you know, Boston Beer Company saying, okay, we're going to get in, but we're only going to get in in Canada because that's where it's federally legal. And then once it's legal in the US, then we'll, we'll migrate down. So that's their comfortability. And then we see others like, you know, Coke, right? Like investing money into Tilray or, or, or something. That's their comfortability. And so we see the full spectrum. I think it's a little bit of both fast and slow on both sides, right? When I say <laughs> it, they will all move fast once that gate drops. And they'll move fast with a lot of money and there's going to be a ton of consolidation. And so all these brands doing the hard work, it, it, there's, there's two main goals. One, yeah, uh, get the customer base, get them loyal. Like Can has done a really great job at, at getting a loyal following and, and really doing what they're exceptional at actually is, is kind of their product rollout. Just this constant release of cool new products, cool new flavors. So like kudos to them for doing that. The other aspect, which they do have to still worry about, is like lasting long enough, right? We don't know when federal legalization is, is going to happen. We don't know when that consolidation is going to happen. I mean, sure, there's always opportunities to do kind of a midterm exit if that's what you want to do. But I think, you know, everyone has this vision of like, okay, eventually we're going to reach legalization. We're a little bit ahead of the game, but, we're, you know, we're going to get that first mover advantage and then we're going to be boom, at the top of the list for when the big dogs come in. And the question is, are you going to be able to last that long? Or are you going to have to kind of like sell earlier to a medium-sized dog? <laughs> um, and so it is fun uh, to know that we're kind of like periodically adopting new big brands into the space. And they're seeing their, you know, their, their colleagues get in. And so they're getting hungry. And so we're working with a number of big brands, whether it's THC or CBD and just kind of seeing that map of comfortability, but it is getting stronger and stronger as time goes on. I think federal banking will be a, a boon to the industry and in seeing some of these brands Agreed. come in. In so many ways. So I want to kind of stay with there where you're talking about can and the rollout of new products. So, you know, from a timeline cycle, obviously you can't give us like an exact because there's too many variables, but is there a ballpark if someone says, hey, Ben, I've got this incredible idea. I want to roll out this type of beverage. Is there an estimated time that you can share with our listeners just so they can get a ballpark on what it looks like? Yeah. I mean, look, we've brought products to market in six weeks, soup to nuts. So it can be done very quickly. We've also worked on products that took 18 months and really... There's so many nuances, like you mentioned, uh, but it comes down to you as the as the product owner. Like, how picky are you going to be on flavors? Like, right? Like, beyond flavors, it's building partnerships with manufacturers. I mean, it is very rare now for someone to come in and do all the work, you know, on their own. And so, short of doing that, you just have to find the right partners. We we make it really easy. We have the ingredients ready to go. We've tested a bunch of different formats. And then we have the partners on the co-packing side, depending on what market we're in. And so we can help connect those dots and really speed it along. And now that we've worked with several hundred different SKUs and, and product types, we can help kind of troubleshoot very quickly, if not get it right on the first try. So it's pretty quick. Uh, you just have to come ready. And I think a lot of the biggest limitations for people are often capital. So if you're a fresh startup hoping to raise, just know that it's a very noisy market right now. There's a lot of people launching and a lot of people that 
are getting more and more sophisticated or have more and more capital. So you're going to have to bring more to the table. But yeah, it's a, it's an exciting category. So I definitely want to continue on the beverage. But before we kind of go there for a little farther, is there any other categories that Virtosa plays really well into that you're really excited at for the future? Yeah. So so going back to it only being two to three percent, you know, that that that's tough to build a large scalable business around uh, when you're like two percent of that final cost, right? And so we were doing all right with beverage, but we we set our sights on making other edibles great. And we saw a big opportunity with gummies, which is the number one product in the ingestibles category. Um, and so we focused hard last year on creating an ingredient that will improve the experience with the gummy and have seen really good traction uh, in it this year. And so taking those gummy experiences and making you feel it within the first 10 to 20 minutes and really getting that peak experience, you know, within the first, call it 30 to 45 minutes. And uh, it's game changing. Our whole team is super passionate about beverage, um, but our chief innovation officer, Austin, like who has a, let's just call it close relationship with the plant, you know, love smoking. His new favorite product is not the beverage. It's it's actually the, these fast acting gummies. And it, it almost changes the consumption pattern for gummies, uh, which the brands are going to love this, right? Like you can actually consume, you know, one, two, three gummies in circuit instead of like having to guess like how much gummy you want to have for the next like six hours, right? And so it's been great for sleep too. Uh, I, I use cannabis a lot for sleep and it was hard for me to find the exact dose without, you know, the, the one that would get me to sleep at the right time, keep me asleep, and then like not leave me groggy in the morning. And this helps it because the faster you absorb it, the faster your body's processing it. And so, you know, I can now take a gummy closer to bed. It puts me right to sleep. I sleep and then I wake up, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed and ready to hit the day. And I can do that, you know, five, six in the morning. So it's pretty game changing. I'm excited for it to catch on. We have some customers that are just going going, going bonkers uh, with sales right now. So uh, excited for what that means in uh, next year. Kellen, dive into that a little bit. Talk about the importance of the fast-acting edibles. Obviously, we've had conversations with others who've had an off-putting experience. Maybe they tried an edible in college, which is obviously not the same as a legal rec market, or they've kind of dabbled a little bit more recently now. So the importance of trying a product like an edible and then having them feel the effects pretty quickly. I mean, I think it's important from a consumption standpoint, but I also think it's an it's important from like a cultural stigma standpoint. Because like early on in Colorado, edibles came out and the the dosage wasn't exactly what the packaging said. And you have, uh, I think we already talked about it uh, previously, is, is when you consume, say, THC, the liver processes it into a different molecule. And so that's where the long time it takes to actually feel an edible really comes from. And so 11-hydroxy is more potent than normal delta-9 THC, right? Which then is going to create a more intense feeling from a consumer standpoint. And so if you're looking for consumer adoption of a product or just trying to change the cultural stigma associated with cannabis, right? That is something that's very, very... It's a hard hill to climb, right? Mm -hmm. Being able to work through those things. So by increasing its bioavailability, which is probably where the decreased onset period is coming from, right? Is actually you're now absorbing Delta 9 THC. I don't speak to the exact science that Vertosa is employing, but um, I imagine it has something to do with increasing bioavailability. And so then you're going to have a more enjoyable uh, experience from a consumer standpoint, right? And it's going to set on quicker. So like they're going to be able to figure out where their happy place is from a 
from an experience standpoint. And that's going to just overall help with the cultural stigma and all these other aspects of cannabis that need to occur in order to keep driving federal legalization, at least in my opinion. No, you're, you're yeah, you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. It's um, controlling those curves of those metabolites is kind of like what we're really focusing on now. Like, what do we, what can we do with the uh, the carrier oils, like long chain versus medium chain, like uh, including other excipients that you know can influence vasodilation or kind of the sensitivity of of receptors, or you know just really digging into the nerdy side of of uh, the ingredient and. And seeing how we can manipulate it, but we we are looking at curves where it's like, oh, you know, this particular ingredient has very li- little eleven hydroxy. Like it's like this little blip on the curve where you have these other, you know, distillate based products where that curve just keeps climbing over a long period of time, and it you can then correlate that to the experience that the consumer is having because we're doing actual, you know, it's a I've sat in rooms probably. I guess five times now where like I have needles in my arm for like eight hours, <laughs> like pulling blood periodically. It's, it's not always the most comfortable, but you know, again, for science, for um, science. and at least incredible. you get to be high. I will say I did learn that my blood pressure tends to drop while I'm under the influence and it's Look how hard to find my veins. <laughs> Look how far this industry has come in the last 30 years. <laughs> it's amazing. It, it, it's, and like I said, it's so much fun. And, and, you know, we're, we're starting to find, you know, our contemporaries throughout the industry that, also really care, also really curious. Um, in about an hour from now, I'm going to be popping on with uh, Dr. Jehan Marku, who's you know, got a PhD in uh, the ECS and just kind of like, yeah, super awesome to constantly like ping these great minds that just are thinking of it. And it's like all coalescing into an acceleration of knowledge. Um, every time we get a new data set in, not only do we get to kind of get the information we need and the reason why we have it, we then pull that data and cross compare it to all the other previous data sets we have and like, what else are we learning here? How does body weight, how does, you know, male versus female, like what are the different impacts that affect your experience in consuming cannabis? Because I think that's the hardest thing with cannabis is like, you know, the inconsistency of experience between person to person or even within oneself day to day, you know, fed or not fed. Um, you know, these, these are all important questions and they all influence um, your, your relationship with the plant. Cannabis driving purpose, personal medicine. That's right. Yeah. Would, the, would the diet influence that? If you have, let's say, a very heavy carb, is there a certain type of food category you would say, hey, this might enhance or this might reduce that you found in your research? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a no- number of them and they all influence. So, so, yeah, everything, you know, fatty acids, you know, if eating fish like could increase your absorption, especially depending on the type of ingredient that you're consuming, right? Um, caffeine, sugars, like these all, these are all different things, you know, more than anything, just making sure that your stomach and digestive system is activated. Uh, and then when you're putting ingredients in there, all the, the acids are ready to break down, uh, the compounds that you're putting in and absorb into the bloodstream. And so if your body's already activated, like warmed up, you know, like a car, right? Like, and then you can like, you know, jam on the gas and (laughs) and get the cannabinoids in there and it's, I think people would be surprised at the difference. I think we're preparing an IRB study right now that will actually speak directly to that. It's just like, what does fasted versus fed look like? And I think it was like a two to four X difference sometimes on the absorption level, right? That's wild. Um, 
yeah. So it, it, it's pretty crazy. So like, I, I know people often will like, they'll look, they'll blame the product, right? Like, oh, last time I had this product, I hardly felt anything. And this time I was, you know, it's like, oh, it's an inconsistent product. I mean, chances are it could probably be an inconsistent product based on where we're at in the industry and, you know, testing requirements and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, in all likelihood, it could be you too. So consider that. That's why I wanted you to share that because I think sometimes people forget that the inconsistency could be on an internal side and their diet plays such a, a big factor into what goes on for that experience and not just to blame the pro- product. Sure, it's an easy scapegoat yeah. and likely one that could be causing an issue, but more than likely, if you bought it from a certain location, it could be internal based. And, and that's where I advise people to, to start taking more account to what goes on prior to when they're kind of experiencing the cannabinoids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And super non-scientific and just my own like personal anecdote. Let me caveat this, that with this. <laughs> um, like I've heard people describe THC as an, like an amplifier, right? Like you apply like THC to a certain minor cannabinoid, it's going to amplify the effect of that minor. I also find THC to be kind of an amplifier of where like where I'm at psychologically, personally, right? Like if I've been working hard all week and I'm worn down, but I haven't allowed myself to be convinced that I'm tired. I consume THC. It's going to rip away those in- inhibitors. And all of a sudden I'm going to be, I'm going to be tired and I'm going to go take a nap. And I'm like, Oh, I might blame the THC for being like, Oh, it just made me sleepy. I don't like that experience. Um, but I could take the same product if I'm out in Vegas and at the you know tables and I take it, like, it's not gonna make me sleep. Like I'm, I'm going to be in a great mood. I'm going to be social and I'm going to be gambling. And then I'm going to go to the hotel room and go to sleep, which is beautiful. Like, yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful side effect. But yeah, I, I, I think, you know, in ways, THC can just be an amplifier for our internal voice telling us what we need in that moment. Right. Um, and now I'm going to start sounding like a hippie, but like we need to listen to the plant and listen to ourselves and take those moments to just be like, you know, what's my body telling me? Love it. Since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception? <laughs> That we're all rich. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The green rush. Yeah. We're all like, you know, just minting money, you know, all that nonsense. Like this is a hyper inefficient industry. It's irrational. We're all putting in the work based on a perceived uh, potential. And if you're getting into this industry just now, because you think it's a green rush and it's a way to mint money and don't get me wrong. There's some people mint money. Um, but on the whole, it's hard and it takes a lot of work and you got to care. And that's why, you know, from day one, I realized like to be an entrepreneur in this space, you're an advocate, you're involved in politics, like you're doing all these things that you didn't realize you'd have to do. It becomes all encompassing. It becomes your life because it has to, because it requires that much time, but it's all totally worth it. Don't get me wrong. Like on paper, like, you know, I have a lot of wealth. Uh, it's just... It's not, it's not fruiting it to cash because, you know, like there, we have a long ways to go still. And that's the biggest misconception. The other thing is just that it's far more complicated than anyone realizes. So you can say that from a multitude of different perspectives, but from like the outside, like if you're a consumer looking into the industry, like just even asking my wife, like she'll like hold up a product. She's like, uh, can I have this? I'm like, sure. It's CBD. She's like, is it going to get me high? I'm like, I'm like, I have failed you. I, 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 I've, I've been in this industry for six years now. How do you not know the difference? And this is like, she's like, no, well, I know the difference. I'm like, 
do you? And like, I get super judgy, uh, which is probably not good for our marriage, but you know, it's like, it's so complicated. And then we, now we're in this realm of like people just trying to survive. And and I, I rail on these people and I'm probably about to, when I, when I record my podcast about like, you know, this gray area of like chemically synthesized cannabinoids coming from the hemp plant and it's mudding the waters and people are going to, I'm about to drop an F-bomb, but like it's okay. uh, <laughs> people are going to get more and more confused. And the people we don't want to get confused are the regulators and the FDA. Because when they get confused, they overcorrect and cast down rules and it's going to hit us like a ton of bricks. And I don't want that to happen. I, I have a little bit of a pessimist streak. I, I think it's my my survival uh, mode as an entrepreneur. But yeah, I'm just encouraging right, people guys. to stop adding confusion. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know, Kellen, you wanted to chime in there. I know that is a... No, uh, I just said, uh, I know I know the pessimistic card for sure. And I mean, I'm very frustrated with the whole uh, synthetic cannabinoid industry, if you will. I mean, Delta-8, now Delta-10. And I mean, understanding you know. science and like how, what it takes to make like a synthetic pharmaceutical... It's just like, and then you see that's just flooding the market. It's like the facilities that need to be utilized to produce a pure synthetic compound are not the facilities that are doing. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> but you can buy it on the internet and you can get high. Yeah, and it's totally illegal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so like, it's like it's like spice. <laughs> oh my god, oh, or bath yeah. salts. Do not get me going. I like I. I'm just you know for those of us been operating in the in the licensed legal market, it is just very disconcerting because like I hear these talking points. It's like oh, it's creating access or it's it's more affordable for the patients that can't afford the legal market. I'm like yeah, well come expend your effort on trying to make it more affordable in the legal market. Like that's what success looks like. Like gotta play the long game because we've been playing the long game for decades. We can't put all that hard work at risk because you need to make a buck to keep your business alive. That's so well said. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience into a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass onto the next generation, what would it be? Oh man, that's a good question. I always encourage people, and you can do this with a company. Well, you have to do this with a company, but I encourage people to do it for themselves. And that's truly to define your foundation. In, in business, we call it a brand foundation. So like, what is your mission? Like, what is what is the thing that's going to motivate you and motivate the people around you to keep coming back? And, and that vision is not, you know, revenue driven. It's not inspiring. Well, it is inspiring, but not for most people. It's not like, it's not what gets you through the hard times. You need to like define what will get you through the hard times that you're going to keep fighting for no matter what. And then like, what's your big, hairy, audacious goal? Like, what are you going to like, how are you going to blow people away and truly create an impact? You know, put that dent in the universe and, and, and like, you know, just change how things are done. Like have a vision, like take all the information out there. We have the opportunity to, to create this industry, to create the future. It's in your hands. Like you really can create anything. Like beverages was hardly a thing when we launched the company, but we knew that we would get refrigerators into every dispensary. We knew it would be a category and we just had to fight like hell to make it happen. You know, create your habits. Like, what are you going to do every day that regardless of whether you remember what your vision is or your, your BHAG, like what habits can you create every day that are going to lead you to success? Like, how are you going to get it done? Like values, right? I mentioned trust. Like have values that actually mean something like, you know, respect and honor and all this stuff. Like all these like, you know, just things that people pull off other people's boards and like put it on and then put definitions behind and then never look at it again. Like 
is all bullshit. Like come up with things that will truly make a difference and define you as a, as a person and a company, right? So for us, it started with trust. That was our entire first year. Now we have three and the other two are our leadership and community. So every decision we make, every decision we make falls in line with building trust, being leaders in the space and building up the community. If we're doing something outside the bounds of that, then we've fucked up. And then, then there's a bunch of other details I could get into there, but like you do that for yourself and for your company, like it makes actually life a lot easier because it makes making decisions easier. And then lo and behold, you know, three years later, all of a sudden you have a company that has a really deep culture and you stand for something and, and it's unique. And so like, again, company or for yourself, do that. And it'll, it'll help you kind of get to where you need to go. Beautiful. All right. It's prediction time. According to the Brightfield Group, the THC-infused beverage category will account for $1 billion in U.S. sales by 2025. The hard seltzer category is estimated to be closer to $30 billion by 2025. Ben, what advancements, changes, or breakthrough needs to happen to have the infused beverage numbers closer to the hard seltzer? Cross-state commerce. Um, beverage in general is a volume game. And so everything that you see in the mainstream markets is, is based on volume, whether it's manufacturing, distribution, retail. Like think of how much shelf space a beverage gets in a grocery store. We aren't afforded any of those and we're still making it happen, right? And so uh, the first one would be cross-state commerce simply because manufacturing in general is highly specialized in beverage. Like in Oakland, in the mainstream market, there is a beverage co-packer down the street where all they do is nitro cold brew in cans for a bunch of other brands. It's not like it's one brand that produces this for themselves. They've built their entire business off doing that for other brands. In cannabis, folks like Space Station and Tinley and, and whomever else, they, they have to do everything. They have to code switch from coffee to wine to beer, four ounce cans, eight ounce cans, 750 milliliter bottles. And like, that's just not done in the mainstream world. It's, it's just too much. It's too inefficient. Building those efficiencies will allow things to get to scale and get them out into people's purview. And so I don't think we're going to get cross-state broad uh, sweeping cross-state commerce uh, as, you know, as a result of like a federal legalization effort. We will see it go like from state to state or region to region um, based on kind of like the negotiations we see going right now, like Oregon, like was the first one to propose it. And I think it makes sense. And, you know, so we're, we're focused on making sure that we're active in all these hubs that we, we perceive to pop up. I mean, you know, I don't think I'll give away any secrets by saying, you know, like think about, you know, Midwest, East coast, West coast, like those are the things that will kind of like start to, to build up. And so that might be tipping our hat to a little bit to kind of our strategy, you know, other than that, consumption lounges. And this is where I'm looking at New York. I mean, like you guys, like the nightlife capital of the world, like it's going to happen there. And the conversation already happened. And the reason being is because discovery is an important part of beverage. Sharing is an important part of beverage and, and experimenting. And, and a consumption lounge uh, that is designed properly uh, will allow that to happen. And, you know, I think we've been trying to like evolve consumption lounges out of like an initial effort here in California. And it's just, it's very, uh, there's a lot of friction, but I think New York has an opportunity to build it from the ground up the way that they know how to do it. And I'm, I'm excited for that. Kellen, before you go, Ben, do you think we'll have bars having both alcohol and infused beverages on tap? I think it's going to be a long time. That's a, that's a tough chasm to cross. 
I think we might get there after I see a low dose beverage in a liquor store, or convenience store. And frankly, it's tough. You know, you talked about competition in the past or, you know, I, I love the fact that I can, you know, put a nice base layer of an infusion in me and then go out and consume yeah. alcohol and only have two or three drinks and be totally happy uh, because that was not my practice, you know, co- coming out of college. I'll, t- I'll tell you that much. Yeah. So it's a, <laughs> but you know, yeah, one can hope, one can hope. Back in the the election year, I was making a name for myself for making terrible predictions uh, in the right direction, luckily. And so I'm just going to like go back to that practice of like, we're never going to see it. And then I'd be pleasantly surprised, you know, in 2030 when it happens. Kellen, your thoughts on the advancements to get the categories closer together? It has, I mean, it has to be interstate commerce and like the hub and spoke model because... I mean, one of the most challenging things about the beverage market is the cost of a can. You know what I mean? And that cost is only so high because of the inefficiencies in the manufacturing process because it's the economy of scales when it comes to beverages, right? Like Coca-Cola doesn't have a factory in every state making Coca-Cola, right? Like that's just not how that works. It's not how they make money. You know, Mm -hmm. they have a bottling plant that manufactures all of the Coca-Cola for, say, the East Coast or the Southeast or whatever. So I think it's got to be interstate commerce to facilitate like the traditional hub and spoke model from a supply chain perspective. So it's the obvious answer, right? (laughs) I think it's the only thing that really helps drive costs down personally. Yeah. I think another component that you could throw in there is like DSD, just that like uh, direct distribution into like uh, into this in the retailers because especially in California and and likely soon to be New York, like yeah. space limited, right? And no one has room for pallets in the back of their dispensary. And so if you were able to create a hub and smoke model, like uh, smoke, <laughs> hub and smoke <laughs> model, uh, like Colin was mentioning, uh, then you could have like, you know, beverage trucks going around to a bunch of dispensaries, going and facing the shelves. Like you see this in a grocery store. I don't know if anyone's accidentally walked up to someone like facing like an alcohol shelf and then be like, oh, sorry, like I, I don't actually work here. I'm, I'm just the beverage guy. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's like, we need that in cannabis because like people don't want to store pallets of like 10 different types of beverages uh, in in their back room because they don't have room. And the argument, again, that you always hear is, is like, oh, why would I do that if vape carts are over this small and only take up this much space? Like that's the constant argument that we're fighting for. So if we, if we break down these barriers, again, from like manufacturing all the way to the customer is how it has to happen. So like, you know, distribution, manufacturing at scale, like that's the first key step. But immediately after that, it'll move to kind of breaking down those barriers to the retailer. I wonder if some of the scientific advancements from a research standpoint can play a big difference. If people find out they can be good for sleep, they can be good for social effects, they can be good for recovery, but you can also, it's a replacement for alcohol, which for me, as soon as the the marketing slogan of no more hangover, that was it for me, where where I can take (laughs) that and replace that forever. Because like that to me was like the worst feeling in the entire world. And then I wonder to myself, like, Sure, I had a great time, but like I feel absolutely miserable for the next four days. And having an infused beverage would help me replace that. How the two categories get closer together, you're right. From a distribution standpoint, we need economies of scale. Also, they don't make 30 racks, right? Back in college days, you can grab like a 30 pack of Bud Light. You're not grabbing yeah. a 30 pack of like Can or Levia because I mean, I couldn't. Even You'll imagine. be broke. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think you're not like, eating that weekend. No, it's yeah. almost impossible. People when they when they go into the dispensaries and they make that that individual product selection, a lot of them they do can compare the cannabinoids, right? So if they can get 100 milligrams of a 
in an edible or a bag of edibles versus a couple of different cans, they're more likely to grab that. So maybe over time, the advancements would go. But I definitely see those numbers getting closer together as we get farther out. But obviously, we've got tons of hurdles and tons of obstacles to kind of get there. Yeah, I mean, the the interesting aspect, because you are comparing it across categories, right? And so you have these products that are like 750 on the shelf, where I can tell you that the active ingredient might be 10 cents. And so all those efficiencies that we're talking about building at the manufacturing and distribution scale, that's what's going to drive down that unit cost. And then you can have multi-packs that are digestible from a, from a purchasing standpoint. Of course, there's always regulations that we have to deal with. Like Canada, they can only have like, you know, 10 milligrams in a single like package, right? And so it's like, there will be no such thing as like a six pack, I guess, unless it's like a milligram and a half. Is my math right? That was pretty close. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's like, unless you're like doing a, mil- a milligram and a half, like in, in each can, like you're not going to have a multi-pack coming out of Canada unless you change the regulations. So Ben, for those who want to get in touch, they want to learn more, where can they reach you? Website is Vertosa. That's V as in Victor, E-R-T-O-S-A.com. And then I guess on the socials, I'm Mr. Ben Larson. Uh, so, And the podcast as well. And the podcast. Yeah. Tune in, subscribe, rate, review, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, MJ Today, you know, we cover the news on a weekly basis and you don't have to listen to my voice every week, which is a benefit. So (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much for taking the time, Ben. Absolutely. Brian, Kellen, it's, it's been awesome talking to you guys. I look forward to chatting again. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.